If you, um, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel 15. And, uh, and this is, this is going to be a little different than a Sunday, which is why I wanted to do this on a Tuesday. Um, 2 Samuel 15. Hey, guys. <clears throat> I'm going to read some stuff that I've been writing per usual, and, uh, and then we'll go into it. But we're going we're gonna to look at three kings. Three kings that were three sons of David. Two of them end up dead, and one of them ends up king. <clears throat> a good thing in the wrong season is a bad thing. Let me say it like this. The right thing in the wrong season is the wrong thing. Entrance into the right season without the right anointing and sending is a bad thing. Both of these are struggles in the church at large today. Because we don't have the trust to wait or mature for his timing and plans, we find leaders, young primarily but not exclusively, trying to make things happen that they've heard when they were actually supposed to process what they heard from the Lord as an invitation to trust and receive. The Lord does not give you a revelation so that you can get busy. He gives you a revelation so that you can posture yourself in him to receive in the right time what he spoke. A lot of this might challenge some stuff, so y'all just hang with me for a little bit. What's up? Fulfillment, fulfillment of the word of God absolutely involves your obedience. But listen to this. But obedience has nothing to do with what you can make yourself and everything to do with how much you can allow yourself to get rooted to inherit what he spoke. Okay? This whole lens for tonight. A good thing in the wrong season is a bad thing. Okay? I believe and have witnessed in my own life that the lack of trust in the Lord today has primarily, primarily to do with two things that are joined together. And th this is the whole night. You ready? The lack of trust, in, in, and this is my life and everybody's life, that I have witnessed in the church at large today is due to two things, I believe. One, a lack of legitimate fathers Spiritual fathers primarily is what I'm talking about. And number two, a lack of willingness for sons and daughters to be seated under legitimate fathers. It's a lack of legitimate fathers. And it's because of that, a lack of willingness for sons and daughters to be seated under legitimate fathers. This is a massive biblical principle and is nowhere to be found or taught today. The job of a father, the job of a father, and, and I'm using father, you could also put mother in there. I'm using the language of father because of the story we're about to read. So I don't want anybody to think I'm discounting mothers. That's, they're one and the same. 
I'm just using father for the sake of the story. So um, just getting that out there. The job of a father, and I am a father too, so it's kind of relatable to me, but is threefold. The job of a father, spiritual father, is threefold. It's to position you, number one, is to protect you, and it's to give you permission. To position you, to protect you, and to give you permission. Now, ultimately, I'm going to go to the good thing in the wrong season and the right season, okay? But I'm kind of laying the foundation, talking through what a father looks like. Um, and you know, it'll make sense when we start reading this. Because of a lack of fathering, we have sons and daughters who have a destiny to shift cosmic order that are spiritually dying prematurely because they try to make themselves what only a father could anoint them to be. Tom is on our side. Tom submits to you and I, not the other way around. However, because we live in a culture that has to go now and do now, we have great services, we have great careers, and I'm using great, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek, and we have great ministries that are a fraction of what they would be and should be had we trusted God enough to submit to being rooted. We have no lack, and I'm, I'm going to say this, this is just one of those things I just feel called to speak into, so uh, I say this out of all love. We have no lack in leaders, but much lack in fathers. A leader does what's best for an organization. A father does what's best for a son and daughter. A leader is concerned about what their followers produce. A father is concerned about who their sons and daughters become. Lord, I feel this. I've been weeping. I've been weeping over this for, for weeks. A leader judges success based on metrics. A father judges success based on dimensions. A leader works hard for quick growth. A father remains constant for generational longevity. A leader has goals. A father has blueprints. Follower, listen to this. Followers fawn over what their leader has. Sons and daughters receive what their father has. Just one more time. Followers fawn over what a leader has. We become fans of it. But sons and daughters receive what their father has. I'm going to read this. I've read this, um, Lord, and I'm going to try to read it without bawling. I've read this about three or four times since we started this church, and some of y'all may not have heard it. It's been a while. Um, and uh, the first time I heard this, I was sitting in a wilderness society with Damon Thompson, and uh, his spiritual grandfather wrote this, or I guess he preached this, and it got written down later. And uh, I remember as he was, he was weeping reading this, I was crying as I was trying to write it all down. And, um, but I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. This might, be, this might be the most undervalued piece of writing in all of history. 
This is by Apostle F. Nolan Ball, or Nolan F. Ball, excuse me. Passed away, I think it was two years ago at this point. And he said this, if you, miss, if, you, if you don't miss anything tonight, don't miss this. True success is not achieved. True success is received. Worldly men have faith in their work. Kingdom men work out their faith. Worldly men cause other to know their methods, others to know their methods. Kingdom men cause others to know their God. And again, men, women, interchangeable here. The success of worldly men can be defined in certain observable methods. Methods that can be cataloged, emulated, and sold for profit. The success of kingdom men is attributed to only one thing. And that one thing is obedience to the spoken word of Yahweh. While that obedience may be manifested in observable acts, emulation of those acts by others will never bring the hope for success. Therefore, the kingdom man's success does not produce much in the way of a product that can be marketed and sold at great prices, bringing great wealth to the man. But the kingdom man's success does cause glory to be given to Yahweh. Worldly men base their success upon information, information that can be cleverly edited to smooth away the rough edges, cleverly packaged, advertised, and marketed in order to bring great wealth to its author. Kingdom men know their success is based off their uncompromised obedience to a revelation from Yahweh. Now listen to this right here. True revelation is biting, sharp, provocative, challenging, and ever-present threat to the status quo. Therefore, kingdom men are almost always misunderstood, lonely, and rejected in their time. Most often remaining a voice crying in the desert. They are recognized, honored, and even revered, but always by another generation, never their own. Therefore, kingdom men are content to be the leaders of a remnant, the keepers of the flame, the preservers of the seed, the protectors of tomorrow's Abraham's, Isaac's, Moses's, John the Baptist's, and yes, even the Christ. No wonder that heaven and earth together cry out for the manifesting of the sons of Yahweh. One of, the, one of the most impactful things I've ever heard in my life. We have turned, we have turned those meant to be fathers into leaders and those meant to be sons and daughters into followers. And in turn, we have great organizations with great leaders and a dying culture with no fathers. So why are we talking about this? Because if you don't see what the Lord is doing here clearly, and I, I say this with no pride in me, but I've got to speak the truth. If you don't see what the Lord is doing here and other places clearly, you'll miss this place and what it was designed to unlock in you. 
I am not your leader. And this is not an organization. I am your spiritual father. And this is a family. And because of that, where we could go from here is full of endless possibilities. There are places in the kingdom reserved exclusively, and I'm about to read this, for those in a home with fathers and mothers. There are things in you and I that will only be unlocked through the authority of a father and a mother. I mean, this is huge stuff, okay? So I'm calling this how to make a king. That's what I'm calling this. And before I read this, I want to remind you of the uh, verse that I read on Sunday. And I'm, I'm actually going to, uh, before Matt got up, and I'm going to read this. You don't have to turn there. Proverbs 25.2. Now listen to this. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but to search out a matter is the glory of kings. Now, now I want to read this, the next verse because I've never taught on the verse after this, and I'm not teaching on it tonight, but I just want to throw this in there. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But to search out a matter is the glory of kings. As the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. Why? Because they're the ones who have searched out the things God concealed specifically for them. They are carrying a piece of glory that no one else on earth other than kings and queens, we would say sons and daughters of Yahweh, are carrying. And because of that, what's within you and I is not measurable, it's immeasurable, it's overflowing, and it's unsearchable to the heart that will not submit to what Yahweh is doing in the culture today. This is huge stuff. Okay, so David had three sons. He had three sons that at some point in Scripture are labeled as king. I'm talking about David. We all know David. Jesus, more than anything else, was called the son of David. He was called the son of David more than he was called the son of God. So that's the David I'm talking about, okay? David had three sons that at some point in Scripture are labeled as king. Listen to this. You ready for this? Two try to make themselves king without being anointed, and they end up dead. The other, Solomon, is anointed by a father, and the Lord himself establishes his reign. There are three sons that at some point in Scripture, and we're about to go through this, are labeled as king. Two tried to make themselves king and never became fully king. One submitted to the process of waiting until a father gave him the anointing that he could only receive in proximity with the father. And when he received that, the Lord not only establishes his reign, we're going to read this, makes him the greatest there ever was and ever will be. Okay. So, number one, the first son is Absalom. The first son is Absalom. Absalom means father of peace. This is the irony in this is unbelievable. What is Solomon's name? Peace. Solomon means peace. Absalom, the older brother of Solomon, his name means father of peace. He's the third son of David. When he shows up in Scripture, 
where we're about to read, when he shows up in Scripture, the first two sons of David are dead. So at this point, he's the oldest living son of David. Okay? And a lot of us know this. If you don't, you know, that's okay, but just naturally. Uh, what happens to the oldest son? They inherit the kingdom. Right? So Absalom is in line to be king. He was a favorite of his father and of the people. Second Samuel even says that he was the most handsome man in the entire kingdom. And that word handsome means a bunch of different things. But Absalom flees Jerusalem. I'm just giving you a backstory. He flees Jerusalem and his father after the murder of his brother. So, so one identified as the father of peace becomes the seed of division within the family and thus the kingdom. He killed his brother because she raped, he, he killed his brother because he raped his sister. So crazy story, okay? But I, I, I just I want to point this out, okay? The father of peace becomes the seed of division because it runs to his next brother that we're going to read too, who also tries to make himself king. So the one called the father of peace becomes the one who causes division, the father of division, let's say, within the family and thus the kingdom. Why? Because he had been hurt by a brother and took matters into his own hand. Because he did that, the father of peace ends up on the run, fatherless, and now alone tries to make happen what only the anointing from David could achieve. It, listen to this. It takes, this is what I'm preaching on, I'm just giving you a little rabbit. It takes guts and a high capacity to forgive to remain in family. You can thrive while in an organization and hold a grudge. Well, how do you know that? I did it. I was the leader. Um, is, uh, you can laugh. You know, if you, if you want to laugh, you can. But it's true. You know what I'm saying? I, I, you, can, you can lead a thriving organization and hate your brothers and sisters. But you'll never make it in family holding a grudge. How many, listen, how many of you have family members that to this day, because of what they did to you 10 years ago, you won't talk to them? There's a lot of people in this room, <laughs> right? And if it's not you, it's your brothers or sisters or cousins or aunts or uncles, but somewhere in your family, there is a division not because anybody did anything bad, but because they won't let go of a grudge, right? So you can't have a thriving family if you don't have a high capacity to forgive and let things go. And I'm, I'm not saying that he should have just let go the fact that his sister was raped, but what I am saying is, is he was never called to take matters into his own hands. But because... He was so furious with his brother and couldn't forgive him, and he held that grudge. It manifests, and instead of that relationship being brought back together, instead it manifests in him murdering a brother. This is what a grudge will do. How do church splits happen? 
And, I mean, today, how do, how do church splits happen? Because somebody gets hurt, they won't let go of a grudge, and they would rather murder brothers and sisters than to forgive. Right? And so, so, but you can do that in an organization. You can't do that in a family. I told you I was going to say some stuff that, but, but I'm just speaking truth. You know what I'm saying? So if you say something that hurts me, I have two choices. I can hold a grudge, and by holding a grudge, it's not affecting me. It's affecting the family. Right? Or, or, or I could be the father of peace. I could forgive and trust that vengeance is the Lord's. And, and I'm, I'm speaking this because this is something I'm learning. But it, we, talk, we talked about this last Tuesday. But if, if we as a family, this is even what I'm preaching on. If, this, if we as a family are going to get to the place where we're kings and queens, as Psalm 8 says, in the earth with dominion over everything he's created. If we're going to get to that place, it's got to start at the bottom level. we got to make it there as a family. We're not going to make it there as a fractured up body. The only way we're going to make it to the psalmate fulfillment of sons and daughters being given dominion over everything he's created, the only way we're going to make it to that is by making it as a full together body. And the only way we're going to make it as a full together body is if we can humble ourselves enough to forgive. All right, that just felt good. Second uh, Samuel 15, I want you to listen to this. In the course of time, in the course of time, Absalom, now listen to this language. He's in line to be king. So at an appointed time, David would have anointed him king and he would have been king over all of Israel. So it's not like he's stealing something that's not his. He's trying to rush the process because he's tired of waiting. In the course of time, Absalom provides himself with a chariot and horses with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone would come with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. Now, this is all a lie. He's making all this up, okay? And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who had a complaint or case would come to me, and I would see that they received justice. There's so much irony in this. Verse 5, Also, when anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Listen to this language. What does he do? He doesn't inherit them. He steals the hearts of the people of Israel. Now remember, who was Absalom? I just said this. He was the favorite son of David at this point. One of his favorites. You know, the Bible doesn't specifically say he was the favorite. He was a favorite. Um... And he was a favorite for the people. So they loved Absalom. Like, this is our guy. So when Absalom is conspiring against his father, they're clueless. Because this is a great man. He talks the right talk. He walks the right walk. But his posture 
is not to inherit and receive from a father. His posture is, I'm tired of waiting, so I'm going to take what's mine. Does that sound familiar? This, this, is, my, this is my story. This is my song. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, some of y'all know that from the old song. You know, this is my story. This is my song. Still in my calling because I've waited too long. Um, just made that up right on the spot, you know. But, um, <laughs> I mean, I wish we would sing songs like we feel them. But so Absalom gets tired of waiting. Now, remember, I, I just I can't state this enough. Who is Absalom? Absalom's the one that couldn't forgive a grudge. So what was once a grudge against a brother now becomes a thief for a country. It, it started against a brother. Now, not only is he going against a father, he's going against the whole country. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, this is David, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. It's all lies. While your servant was living in Geshur in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. Okay. Now, when I say it's a lie, it means that's not why he's going to Hebron. He's not going to worship the Lord. He's going to steal. Uh, the king said to him, go in peace. Now, uh, this is all playing on his name. Go in peace. It's as if David is saying, go as who you're designed to be. Don't go as the thief. Go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. <laughs> 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently knowing nothing about the matter. And while Absalom was offering sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor, to come from Gilah, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept increasing. Lord, I wish I could preach what I actually want to preach tonight. But, wrong crowd. So Absalom's following is increasing. This is exploding. People are clueless. They're, this man, man, this this guy's legit. He's wearing a, he's wearing a, those new Lebrons, you know, whatever you know, whatever the cool thing is today, right? Is, I don't even know if Lebrons are cool shoes anymore, are they? No, he's wearing the new Adidas Ultra Boost. What are they? Jordans, Jordans, yeah, Jordans, the classic. Okay, having listen, having no idea. Having no idea. So here's what Absalom's doing. So he sneaks in. He stays at the gate. He's tricking all these people. You know, if David doesn't want to listen to y'all, that's a lie. This is, we're talking about David. He doesn't want to listen. But if I were king, I'd listen to all of you. Again, who, who was Absalom? He was the one that killed a brother because he couldn't let go of a grudge. Now, what started as dividing one brother or one group of brothers has now seeped into dividing an entire nation. If you think, listen, if you th I'm not preaching on this, but maybe, I mean, maybe the Lord wants to. 
if you think that your little grudge against somebody is meaningless, wait for about 50 more years and we'll see. I mean, why do we think there's so many denominations today? It didn't start out like that. I mean, the Peter wasn't sitting around the room saying, all right, you're going to be Baptist, you lead the Baptists. You're going to be Methodist, you lead the Methodists. You're going to be Pentecostal, y'all lead the Pentecostal. Make sure y'all do this, this, and this to make sure you stay Pentecostal. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, y'all, you lead the Catholics, you lead the Lutheran, you lead the Seventh-day Adventists because you like to sleep on the Sabbath, like, you know, whatever the case may be. And it, but he's not doing that, right? He's, he's pointing back, ultimately... They're all pointing back to the Tower of Babel because they're all given one language at Acts 2. So he's pointing back to the Tower of Babel where they were united in one language. This was the last time. I thought about this today. The Tower of Babel, that crazy scenario, was the last time a group of people have been totally and completely united in history. That was the last time. Even the early church had divisions. Right? Peter goes to meet Paul, and, and he's avoiding certain people because all the Jews are around. He, they, he knows if they see me hanging out with them, they're going to start talking bad, all that stuff, so I'm going to stay over here. And Paul rebukes him openly. You know, so, so there's not continuity in the early church because they're going from what was just Jews to now spreading to the Gentiles who before they hated. And now they're being told to love the ones that they were previously told to stay away from. So, so this wasn't just an easy, like, all right, we're good. We're all in one team. We're all in one body and one accord. No, no, no. It was, it was y'all, y'all have lost your mind. Y'all are eating bacon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Dad, that's a dad thing. Um, but we, we've never seen. So Absalom started out with one grudge, and now that grudge has grown into a kingdom starting to divide without any of the people knowing it. So he was offering sacrifices, um, and he called David's counselor to come from his hometown. The conspiracy gained strength. Lord, I could, I could preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and preach on this. Let me say, the conspiracy gained strength. Let me bless you with that right now. All right. And Absalom's following kept increasing. Lord, keep me on topic. So Absalom, Absalom makes himself or tries, attempts to make himself king. He goes around and says, when the trumpet blows, from Absalom, when the trumpet blows, I need all of y'all to scream out, Absalom's king. On top of that, on top of that, 2 Samuel 18 says that he built a monument for himself and named it after himself. This is Absalom, okay? Now, in 2 Samuel, Absalom, this is how he does. In 2 Samuel, Absalom's mule runs under the branches of a tree. Man, there's so much right here. It runs under the branches of a tree. He gets caught hanging by his hair. Joab then, who's on David's side, Joab 
excuse me, then goes and kills Absalom. He goes and kills Absalom, okay? So Absalom, the father of peace, by way of a refusal to wait for his appointed time, becomes the father of division in Israel. And ultimately, it cost him his life. The one in line to be king over David's household is dead in a field because he refused to wait for David, a father, to anoint him in the right season. So he he was anointed to be king. He was in line to be king. But instead of waiting for the right season, he tried to get into things too early, and what was going to be good became his death. So there's, there's son number one. I really want to get to Solomon, but... Son number two, Adonijah. Let me read 1 Kings 1. 1 Kings, my favorite book in the whole Bible. I love this. I've been reading this and been just burning with this. 1 Kings 1, 1 through 10. Just flip a few pages over. It says this. When David was very old, he could not keep warm, even when they put covers over him. I felt like that in quarantine. I was freezing. So his attendants said to him, Let us look for a young virgin to serve the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our Lord may keep uh, so that my our Lord the king may keep warm. Then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful young woman and found Abishag, a Shulamite, and brought her to the king. Now it's going into this story because she comes back up later for Adonijah, but I don't think we're gonna get into that tonight. The woman was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him, but the king had no sexual relations with her. That's a good thing. Now, Adonijah, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward. Listen to this language. I mean, this is a copy and paste of Absalom. Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. Now, who was Adonijah? Before I keep going, here's Adonijah was the next in line behind Absalom. He was the fourth son of David and considered himself the heir apparent, but not to David, to Absalom. I just need you, I know this is a lot, but I need you to tune in right here, okay? Adonijah was the fourth son of David and considered himself heir apparent, but not to David's throne, to Absalom's throne. Absalom never had a throne. Rather than learning from the failure of Absalom, he picks up the dysfunction and does the exact same thing as his older brother. Now, now, no, no, no. Let me finish this right here. Oh, man, this is so good. He put himself forward, verse 5, and said, I will be king. So he got... And receive him. He got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. Now, I want you to see this in parentheses. I want you to see this right here. His father never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and born next after Absalom. This narrative with Adonijah 
was a result of a failure in fathering. Going back to point one, what did I say in the very beginning? There's two reasons why we don't trust the Lord. There's two reasons, let me say it like this, there's two reasons why we don't have kings and queens in the kingdom operating in the earth. It's because we don't have fathers. And the reason we don't have fathers, let me just say, the reason we don't have fathers is because fathers aren't given the grace to be fathers. In today's culture, if a father tries to be a father, they get left. I mean, right? In today's culture, if a father tries to father, what happens is, is the church leaving. So instead, fathers have become really entertainers because as long as we're entertaining, at least they won't leave our churches. I, listen, I blame, if there is blame, I blame the lack of fathering not to the fathers. I, there is some blame in that. I blame a lack of fathering to the sons and daughters who refuse to sit under a father. So you have pastors having to make the decision today in churches. You have pastors having to make the decision today whether they want to feed their families or whether they're going to be obedient to being a father and knowing everybody's going to leave them. And that is not an easy choice. It's easy for people to say, well, man, you should just be obedient and trust the Lord. That's really easy. And we've, praise God, done that, and we've been okay. But, th but this is where we are today. It's because people aren't coming into our church to be fathered. People are coming into our churches to be entertained. Here's what happens in our culture. And, I, and again, I say this in love. I say this as permission. Permission to be who you are. This is an entertainer is not who you are. It's not who I am. I've tried that. And some of y'all were there watching it. How many of y'all were there? How many of you have been in a season where you've said, yeah, okay? And I'm not, that was me. That's on me. It's not, from, it's not on anybody else. It's on me. But we have a culture in Colombia where people are so looking for an entertainment venue, they'll join one for a season, and when they get tired of that show, they'll jump to the next show. And when... When, when they get tired of, of the next show, they'll jump to the next show. And when they get tired of that one, the other one will have revamped to make sure that they're the new show now. So they'll come back to the original show. How do I know? Because we, we see it left and right. And so while you're getting entertained because you threaten to withhold your tithe and your attendance if you're not entertained, while you're getting entertained, we're losing a culture. I, this is burning on the inside of me. And if we're nothing else in, this com in, the, in Columbia, in this city, if we're nothing else, we're going to be the first fruit of what it looks like to be Acts 2, living and breathing in 2021. If nothing else. But Colum you know, that's why Columbia is dying. Because no one wants to be a father. Because no one wants to be sons and daughters. But if all of us could submit to what Yahweh actually wants to do in the earth, which is not give us a bigger show. What he wants to do is give us a bigger measure of the presence that we have about this much of right now.
He, he, he doesn't want us to get entertained. He wants us to be filled to the brim. It's interesting that no other religion on planet Earth feels the need to entertain people. You ever notice that? How many mosques have lasers shooting everywhere? I mean, seriously. I've never been in a mosque. I want to take a wild guess and say none. I mean, I mean right? There's none. Yeah. Have you been in a mosque? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, well, no. Um, you know, I mean, like, like you, you'll see people in Buddhism showing up ready, ready for the show. You know what I'm saying? No, they're showing up because they're Buddhist. But, but Christians aren't showing up because they're Christians. Christians are showing up because they need to be entertained. And they want a free T-shirt. So I'm not speak. Listen. So I'm not speaking to pastors right now. I'm speaking to congregants right now. I'm gonna take a break from. I'm speaking to you watching this that you don't go to this church. You go to another church, and you're making your pastor make the choice between being an entertaining TED talker and a father. And if you're doing that, you're gonna have to stand before the Lord one day and tell Him why you saw the person He put in your life to father you or mother you as an entertainer and kept them from everything that they were designed to be in your life. That's on you. It's not on them. So pastors, even in this room, you're going to be a pastor one day. We got people in this room that are going to be pastors. Matt, I mean, my Lord, that was the best message I've ever heard Sunday. Unbelievable. Better than anything I could ever do, which is why I loved it so much. That's the goal. My goal is for all y'all to out-preach me every day, all day long, all right? But, but, as I was watching Sunday, it hit me, it hit me that Matt, and I could be putting words in your mouth, when you got up here, you felt zero pressure to preach a good sermon. The only thing you felt was, I'm going to deliver what God gave me, whether or not y'all like it, right? And it hit me. I started to cry sitting down here while he was finishing up his message Sunday. I'm like, what is happening to me? And it hit me that we're starting to create a culture that the early church saw. That Peter didn't stand up in front of those thousands of people with the pressure of delivering a great message. This was Peter who a few pages over had denied Jesus three times and cursed him out. And now that same Peter is standing up having never preached a message in his life because that wasn't even the culture. Having never preached a message in his life. And as Matt said... One of the ones that that culture would have thrown away is now standing up and giving the introduction message of what the gospel is. We, so we have people who are, who are born and destined today to be fathers and mothers that we're throwing to the side because they can't preach a good message. I don't need a good message. I need a father in my life. This narrative with Adonijah was a result of a failure in fathering. And it, and it points it out specifically in verse 6. Now, we're talking about David. Why, why did David, this whole thing could have been avoided if David had gone, had gone to Absalom and said, this is not who you are. And we get a little glimpse of that when he tells him to go in peace. But if David had stopped right there and said, Absalom, you're not leaving this house because this is not who you are. You murdered your brother. You're trying to cause my kingdom, 
the kingdom of God's people to be split in half, this is not who you are. I called you a father of peace. Peace is who you are. If David had done that, we would never have Adonijah. And honestly, we may not ever have Solomon because Absalom would have taken his rightful place on the throne and built the temple of the Lord. And I know there's a lot of, you know, well, the Lord wanted Solomon. I agree. But, but do you see what I'm saying? Like, David's failure in fathering caused sons to fail in fathering. So you have one son who tries to make himself king because he refused to submit to his father. Then you have another son who tries to make himself king because his father refused to father him. Adonijah, this fourth son of David, this fourth son of David, becomes yet another in the story of what it looks like to bring division because of a failure to submit to waiting for the right season. And in 1 Kings 2, one chapter later, he ends up dead by orders of Solomon. And I mentioned this before, but before we jump to Solomon, Absalom and Adonijah were in a better place to be king than Solomon. Y'all hear me? They were in a better place to be king than Solomon. But the Lord was not looking for someone who could use their skills well. He was looking for someone who would sit still long enough to inherit the kingdom. Let me just say that one more time. I think nobody got that. The Lord was not looking for someone who could use their skills well. He was looking for someone who would sit still long enough to inherit the kingdom. In the story of Adonijah and Absalom, we see what happens when a father is absent and sons try to get things prematurely. They were naturally in line to succeed David. His first two sons died, but they refused to wait on the father's anointing and end up dead. You could be in the right position and in the right place. But if it's the wrong time, it's the wrong position and the wrong place. One more time. You could be in the right position and you could be in the right place. But if it's the wrong time, you're in the wrong position and the wrong place. So some of you know what you're called. You know what the Lord has called you to. You know what the Lord has destined you. He's, been, he's given you visions. He's given you dreams. But he gave you that stuff. Not so you could say, all right, let's get it going. He gave you that stuff so that you could posture yourself in the secret place to become the one to inherit all the dreams and visions that he spoke to you. That's what obedience looks like. It takes nothing it takes no amount of faith and no amount of trust for me to hear something from the Lord and try to make it happen on my own. That takes no trust, no faith, and no, that's not obedience. But people, try to, people hear things from the Lord, and we think the Lord is giving us those words because he wants us to go. And even if he wants you to go, he'll make sure you receive the calling he's placed on your life as a son anointed to do the calling he's placed on your life. You can't strive your way into anything. 
you, this is, so this is why that like works-based you know, thing that we talk about left and right, the reason that we talk about works-based stuff and, and the New Testament talks about that all the time is, is not, and I want to elevate this a little bit, it's not because, um, it's not because that's a lesser way to get into things. Let me say it like that. When, when, it, when it talks about you, you working your way, getting things by your works, specifically, specifically salvation, when it speaks against you getting salvation by your works, it's not saying, I'd rather you get it by faith, but if you get it by works, that's just a lesser salvation. What it's saying is, is the only way to inherit salvation is by faith and receiving salvation. So it's not just that your works are lower than your faith. It's that your works don't exist. Do you see what I'm saying? So you can work and 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 work, and you're going to be in the same place you were before you started working. Or you could sit under the shade of a father and mother. You could let the Lord mature you to the place where you're mature and complete, lacking nothing, and then be sent by a father and mother to inherit with full anointing what the Lord has called you to do. We, we don't do that in the church. We don't do that. Somebody has a gift to preach. We do not tell them to get a disciple and grow. We, don't tell, we say, bro, get a mic and preach. So, somebody gets saved and they got a passion to, to evangelize. I'll, that's awesome that we have a passion to evangelize. They don't even know halfway what it means to be in the secret place. So we're sending people out who don't halfway know who they are and halfway don't know who Jesus is trying to get other people into their half knowledge. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what I'm saying is, is if they could submit to a disciple that would bring them into the full knowledge of God who has been anointed to do that, then we could go out and bring the fullness of Christ to everybody we touch. And then people wouldn't have to come into a church and spend years and years and years having to un unlearn things that they learned from somebody who didn't know what they were talking about in the first place. And the reason they didn't know what they were talking about in the first place is not because the Lord didn't call them. They were probably called. It's because they wouldn't wait. And when I say wait, I, I know people are going to hear this and they're going to say, well, brother, you're, you're telling people to not do anything. No, 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 no. I'm telling you to do the harder thing. Still pray for people. Still, but we've got to get to the place. Like, I have five spiritual fathers in my life, five. And that's not including distant ones. I mean, that's like ones that are very present in my life right now, five. So I'm a son. I'm a father, but I'm a son. And, and specifically, my main spiritual father is Lee McDermott. He has been for years and years and years. And um, talking to him, I don't feel restriction. I feel permission I have inherited things in the secret place that I don't think I would have ever inherited had I not been sent into those things by a spiritual father. You can do a lot on your own. 
you can do a lot on your own. And I'm not telling you you're called to do everything with everybody else. What I'm telling you is, is that the reason the church exists, because you know, the popular mantra, Lord, I'm so far off. The popular mantra today is, well, I, don't, I, can, I can do church wherever I am. You can do the secret place wherever you are. But let's be clear, you cannot do the church wherever you are. Because like, I, when I say the church, I mean the actual definition of the church. Like, you know, like well, we need to go be the church. Yes, yes. But the church is the body of believers. So the only way you can go be the church is if the body of believers comes with you when you go be. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it's just a slight, it's just a slight little fix. But people, you know, I can do church where I am. You can be with the Lord where you are, absolutely. But if you're talking about church... Without being in the family, you cannot do that by yourself. Or else, why in the world do we have the church? That's why people today say, well, I don't understand why i got to go to church. I can just do it on my own. Because they're not going to church. They're going to entertainment venues. I, I say this all the time. People are not running from God. They're not running from God. They're running from what we have portrayed God to be. They're not running from God. If they were ever exposed to who he really is, I promise you the only running they be do is straight to the feet of the one who is kind, who is love, who is full of justice, who is full of mercy, who is full of grace, who is so kind that he was willing to die on a cross, blood spilling down his body. The one who created the earth and created the very tree that he died on. He's dying on the tree that he spoke the words for it to come into existence on. To the people that he spoke the words for them to come into existence on. That's the one that's dying on the cross. And as he's dying, he doesn't say, y'all sons of... You know, he doesn't say that. Right? What does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's Jesus. That's not the Jesus we've given people. The Jesus lately we've given people is the Jesus who is a hardcore politician. And now that that's over, we're going to find another Jesus to give people. Whatever the flavor of the month is. I'm telling y'all, the reason that we keep bouncing around is because we don't have fathers and mothers to say, this is the blueprint, this is where we're going, which is only your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I know y'all get tired of me saying that. I've preached message after message. I've preached three messages in this church over four years. Three. They've all had different language. But they've basically been three messages. And it is the secret place, it's identity, and it's your kingdom come. That's all I preached. I know, I know people say, I know people like, man, John, I wish he'd preach on something else. I will. I, I absolutely will preach on something else when we get those things right. But until then, prophetically, let me just tell you what the next few messages are going to be about. The secret place, right? We don't, got to, we, don't, we don't have the secret place right. It's not, a formula, it's not a formula that you can get right. We don't have the secret place right because we don't spend time in the secret place. We don't have his kingdom come yet because we're too busy focused on what's going on in the culture rather than what's going on on the inside of me that if it could get hot enough would explode into the culture. 
Lord, help me right now. All right. Oh, man, 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 man. What happens, what happens when you find the grace to remain and receive is not only, not only do you become what's in your DNA, but you can be the one to build the dwelling place for Yahweh with his people, which is the kingdom. One more time. What happens when you find the grace to remain and receive is not only do you become what's in your DNA, what you're called to be. Not only that, but you end up building the dwelling place of Yahweh with his people, which is what I just said, your kingdom come. Solomon, also called Jedidiah in Hebrew. Excuse me, a lot of you didn't know that. Um, Solomon, also called in Hebrew Jedidiah. Uh, he's the son of Bathsheba. Now, y'all know Bathsheba, right? I'm almost done, I promise. <laughs> um, no, I really am almost done. Uh, Solomon, Solomon is the son of Bathsheba. Who is Bathsheba? Matt talked about this Sunday, right? She's bathing on the roof. David sees her. He's supposed to be out at war. And Lord, there's so many messages. It's the time when kings are out to war, but David's at home. He's not at war. And he sees Bathsheba, brings her in. He rapes her, just so y'all know. Bathsheba wasn't willing. In the, in, the Hebrew language, in the Hebrew, if you read in the Hebrew, he did not say, Bathsheba, you want to come over tonight? No, he said, I'm the king, you'll do what I say. Okay? So he brings Bathsheba in, sleeps with her, she conceives. Uriah, who is her husband, comes home. David's like, i got to figure this thing out. Sends him out to battle, kills Uriah. Brings Bathsheba in, marries Bathsheba. The son that, that was conceived in that whole thing dies before he's born. But the next son from Bathsheba is Solomon. Solomon means peace. And Jedidiah, his other name in Hebrew, means friend of God. Peace and friend of God. <clears throat> In 1 Kings 1.34, I'm going to skip through a lot of this. I'm going to just read one more thing in 1 Kings 3. That's where I'm going. In, in 1 Kings 1.34, David commands Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet to anoint Solomon king. He becomes king and the Lord establishes his throne. Now, 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 listen to this. What's the big difference here? What's the big difference? In 1 Kings 1.34... David commands Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet to go anoint Solomon king. How did David become king? He was out in the field. Y'all remember this? Samuel comes to town. Saul has lost his ever-loving mind. <laughs> Samuel comes to town. And he goes to the house of Jesse, and he says, bring your sons. Jesse brings all his sons, except one. And he goes through, and he sees the most beautiful son. 
He sees the strong son. He sees the son that everybody thinks it should be, straight down the line. And he, under the authority of the Lord, says, none of these are it. Is this all you got? Because if so, I royally messed this up. And Jesse says, well, there is the illegitimate son. David was an illegitimate son, born of a concubine. That's the reason he wasn't at a party. The father thought it can't be him. There are so many people in the church today that have been rejected because they came from an illegitimate line. And you can fill in the blank what that is. It might be a bad past. It might be whatever. That have been rejected by fathers that weren't hearing the word of the Lord correctly and have been thrown to the side because of where they came from. When those are the very ones that Yahweh anoints to bring his kingdom into the earth. Matt talked about all of this Sunday. So how did he become king? David, he was out in a field, content being the beloved of God, worshiping the Lord with a harp, with a bunch of sheep, with no position. No position of authority, obviously no position in the family. David's out in a field by himself, content playing his harp to the Lord the rest of his life if no one hears him. Hear this. Until a legitimate spiritual father, Samuel, showed up and called him what no one had ever called him in his life, king. All he had ever heard, David, his entire life was that he was the illegitimate one. But then a spiritual father shows up and says, no, 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 I know what you've been called, but let me call you what the Lord calls you. You are king. I mean, I mean let, let me just, just right here speak this. If you have earthly fathers or mothers or both that have treated you as illegitimate, that is not who the Lord calls you. You know who David was? Saul was called the king of the people. David was called the king for the Lord. This is how David becomes king. He gets anointed by a spiritual father. His own dad didn't even invite him to the party. How did Solomon become king? He remained in his father's house until a father called him what no one had ever called him before, a king. He wasn't in line to be king. If Absalom and Adonijah hadn't messed it up so bad, he would have never been king. No one expected Solomon to be king, and yet a father calls him what he had never been called king. And it qualified him in the right season, at the right time, with the right anointing, to be all that he was knit together to be. Do you see this contrast? Contrast the two who actually had the gifting to be king that ended up dead and the one who was from a murder-adultery situation, him becoming king. Contrast the two. One was content living in proximity with the father if he never got anything. 
the other two got tired of proximity with the father and tried to make something happen on their own. The other two sons had talent. Solomon had anointing. Do not confuse them. Talent is worthless apart from anointing. The kingdom does not choose talented people. The kingdom chooses anointed anointed people and gives them talents. Don't fall asleep on me. I'm done. It's my last page. It's my last page. Uh, Matt, you want to come up and play keys? I didn't ask you that, but you might have to turn it on and turn it down. Listen, some of you, some of you have lost your vision in a season of waiting and have started to or are considering making it happen on your own. Some of you have lost your vision in a season of waiting and have started to or are considering making it happen on your own. Could you crank that down just a little bit more? Thanks. I mean, there's single people in the room. How many of you in a season of your life had this passion for the right one? But because it has taken time, now the temptation is not to trust the word of the Lord. Now the temptation is to go find the right one. Hello? Those two things aren't the same. Let's say that if you're called to be married, which I believe if you want to be married, you're called to be married. If you're called to be married, but you marry the wrong person in the wrong season, you're married. So you are what you were called to be, married. Right? And yet it's with the wrong one, and it's in the wrong season. Why do you think 50% of the marriages today, and that's higher in the church? Did you know that? The statistics for divorce are higher in the church than they are with people who don't go to church. The reason that one out of every two, half of all marriages, and I think at this point it's actually more than half, of all marriages end in divorce today, I believe a lot of it is a unwillingness to forgive, number one. But, but aside from that, it's jumping into things before you are called to. It's jumping into things before you are ready to. And when you do that, you've got to be the one that sustains it. Because the Lord didn't push you into that season in that timing, you did. So if the Lord allows you, listen, the Lord established Solomon's kingdom. Solomon did not. Do you hear this? Solomon did not establish his own kingdom. The Lord did on his behalf. Why? Because at that point, he was carrying the anointing. And when you're carrying the anointing to fulfill what the Lord has called you to fulfill, you don't have to strive. Your anointing attracts it. I feel like I'm getting back in my my Pentecostal days. I don't think I ever left, actually. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, But do do you see this? Do you see this? For for example, a lot of you are called to do ministry. A lot of you are called to do ministry. And I think we got some amazing people that are called to be in ministry in this room, in this room. But 
if you don't have a position and it's taking time, the temptation, and I say this because I did this, the temptation is going to be, well, let me try to find where I can make that happen. And when you do that, Bill Johnson says, he said, when you do that, you have to be the one that carries that mantle, not the Lord. This is what, this is what he said. Bill Johnson, one of, the, one of the greatest messages I've ever heard him preach, um, he preached a message about for, for pastors. And he said, if you build your church, you've got to sustain it. But if God builds your church, he's got to sustain it. C.S. Lewis would say it like this, aim for heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim for earth and you get neither. Aim for the feet of Jesus and you'll get a spouse one day. Aim for a spouse and you might find yourself without either. Aim for a career or money or whatever. Aim for that and you'll end up in exile from the place you were called out of love because Yahweh loves you way too much for you to worship at the feet of any other God but Him. He loves you way too much to worship at the feet of you, to worship at the feet of your schedule, to worship at the feet of who you're going to marry, to worship at the feet of ministry, to worship at the feet of your career. He loves you way too much to refuse to let you do that. If it means he's got to strip it all away, he will do that because he's not bad, because he's good. So for Absalom and Adonijah, it wasn't just for the good of the kingdom that they died. It was for the good of the family that they died because they refused to submit to a father who would actually anoint them in due time. And I'm preaching this message because I said this earlier. The Lord has been downloading this for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And the reason is, is because we are in a season where we are entering into. I used to say we're about this close. We're, we're in there. We're entering into what I believe the earth has never seen ever in history in, in terms of his presence with his people. And I know that because he made us go through a year of shutting off the performance. Why, why have we gone through this past year? It's not like we haven't prayed prayers that the Lord would heal all coronavirus. We prayed those prayers. I remember, y'all remember this. Back in March, I remember standing on this stage with full confidence saying, leave. COVID, leave. And I haven't stopped praying that prayer I haven't stopped praying that prayer, but my prayer has shifted a little bit. Here, I tried to make something happen because I thought it was the best. Here, I'm saying, Lord, I trust you because you know what's best. Doesn't mean I'm stopping praying. I'm stopping, I've stopped praying against COVID. I've prayed against COVID more than I've prayed against anything in my life. You know what I'm saying? And it's getting better. And but what I have also prayed is, Lord, Lord, if we haven't gotten out of this season yet, 
what we were intended to get out of this season, leave us in it. If you go out of this season the same as you, or worse, than you were before this season, you have missed the point. Man, it's been awful. Business has been awful. This has been awful. Do you know what's been happening in our culture? The Lord has been shutting off the lights in the temples of the false gods that we as believers have been worshiping at the feet of without even knowing it. Everybody wanted to be rich, so you know what he did? He shut the economy off. (laughs) Everybody wanted relationships, so what did he do? Shut community off. Listen, everybody wanted to be Big Shot Ministries, so he shut ministry off. And then he said this. It's the glory of God to hide a matter. But to search it out is a matter in the glory of kings. If you try to filter what the Lord is doing here, and when I say here, I mean in all of us. If you try to filter what the Lord is doing in the typical leader organization lens, you will be let down and you will be disappointed. If you see me as a good pastoral leader, let me tell you right now, I will let you down. You will be disappointed. This is a family. And as your spiritual father, I love you way too much to let you try to force your way into things prematurely. If you think that doing this or having this, whatever this is to you, will make you happy, you will never be happy. But if you try, excuse me, if you get happy with the one thing, no storm, no demon in hell, no circumstance, no power, no principality will ever be able to take your happiness. So we entered the season of COVID. I'm so sick of talking about COVID, but we entered the season of COVID full of joy. And a lot of you are about to exit the season of COVID full of disappointment. You entered into the season of when the Lord brought you and rooted you full of joy and full of excitement and full of happiness. And you're about to leave that season full of disappointment, full of being let down, all of which is not true. The Lord has never failed you. The Lord has never let you down. That's why I said Sunday, we have got to stop questioning God. Stop. You don't question God. I mean, well, man, I just all, I, I just got all these questions. I, you know, I, this happened in my past. Listen, I, I want to honor that and I want to be respectful of that. But you living in a reality other than he and he alone is the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. David says, I know, David, I know that. You are fearfully, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
I know that. How do I know that? I know that because I have seen your faithfulness in me. Time and time again, when I was out in a field playing a harp, totally content being one in the secret place the rest of my life, when a father showed up and said, no, you're not an illegitimate son hiding in a field anymore. You're a king, not just a king. You're a king for the Lord. You're a queen for the Lord. Let me tell you what your calling is. Your calling is to be his queen. Your calling is to be his king. And anything else you do below that is going to be great. But if we don't get that, we're going to spin our wheels out over and over and over trying to make things happen on our own and never making them happen. And we're going to be disappointed. And that's when we're going to start questioning God. And we're going to start saying, well, maybe the Lord doesn't care about me. And then eventually you're going to trace it all the way down to when, well, maybe there is no God. All because you wouldn't sit still to let him give you what he wants to give you, but loves you way too much to give you unless you're seated. When we started this church, whew, I'm not going to have a voice tomorrow. No, I'll speak. I ain't going to say that. What am I doing? Um, when we started this church, I'm done. When we started this church, um, some of y'all don't know this. I told this to Ellington last week. Why y'all laughing? Because <laughs> y'all know I'm not done. Um, when we started this church, I was telling this to Ellington. Um, do y'all know, I, I've never told this part of the story. Um, I felt the Lord called us to start a church back in a season where the, the lead pastor of the church I was a part of um, had been let go. And when that happened, of course, um, everybody was looking for a new church at that point, you know, for the most part. And, uh, and for me, the Lord had already given us the word that we needed to start the church. And, uh, and so we were just waiting for, for the right time. And, uh, and when that happened, my, in my old identity, knee-jerk reaction was, seems like a perfect time to start a church, right? And, and this, that's how most churches are actually started today. And I heard a word from the Lord in the meeting where that was announced say, you will not leave this place until it's healthy. Which for me, I was like, Lord, we're talking years. We're not talking about weeks. We're talking years, and it was. So for over a year, over a year after that, I was faithful. And I'm going to tell you I'm perfect. I'm telling you this is what the Lord has done in me. I was faithful. I was the best worship leader I could possibly be because I honored the fathers that were over me while I was also getting kicked in the secret place in the best way. Hours. I spent, Lord knows how many hours Five hours a day times whatever, 365. So I don't know what that is. But anyway, every single day being crushed into the floor, feeling like his knee was on my chest. Saying, you will not leave the secret place until I give you. Just like Jacob. Jacob wrestles with the Lord and he says, no, you're not leaving this encounter until you're Israel. And so church got healthy again. We felt like it was the right time. We felt like the Lord had released it. And, uh, and I didn't just go say, you know what? Bye, I'm starting a church. I went and met with the executive pastor of our church in Anderson, South Carolina. I sat down to lunch with him and I said this. I said, I don't know if anybody is watching this, but 
But I said this, I said, this is what the Lord has called us to do. I feel called to build a home for the Lord. I want people to be there, but I, called to, I feel called to build a home for the Lord. And if other people decide to live there too, amazing. And, um, and I said, I said, if you do not think I'm called to do this, or if you think I'm not ready, I will not do this. And a lot of people would say, well, brother, you had a word from the Lord. No, 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 no. There is a difference in me trying to make a word of the Lord happen and the Lord giving his word to me. And I wasn't going to force this. I refused to step into this season until he gave it to me. And back in that day, it, we, we all had the mentality of, if you ain't for us, you're against us, you know, that type of thing. And, um, but I sat down with him, Shane Duffy, amazing man of God, sat down with him, and he was the first one in my life that sent me into something. And not just sent me, that financially supported it, paid my salary for six months while we started it, all of that, that they didn't have to do. But that is the difference in trying to make something happen and allowing yourself to trust the Lord enough to say, when it is time, I will receive it. David says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. He does not say, go fight the nations and you'll win them. He says, ask of me and I'll give them to you. I believe we're tasting what we're tasting today. And this is going to sound prideful. I don't mean it like this. I believe we're tasting a lot of what we're tasting today because this wasn't started out of a striving. This was started out of honor. Honor your fathers and mothers and your days will be long on the earth. It's the only commandment that's tied to lifespan. So, so why am I preaching this? Why am I preaching this? Why am I preaching this? You can, you can become so obsessed with proximity to the Father that every season is the right season. And at this point, I'm talking about the Father. You can, you can get so obsessed with proximity to the Father that every season is the right season. You can get to the point, because I'm there, you can get to the point where you no longer are saying, when I get into this, I'll be good. You can be in the place where you haven't tasted an ounce of what the Lord has called you to yet and you be completely fulfilled in where you are. We say it like this around here all the time. We say, I'm totally satisfied and yet I'm not satisfied. You can be in a place where you are totally and completely satisfied with where you are and not be satisfied with where you are. I love where we are, but I refuse to stay here. I'm content where we are, but I refuse to stay here. Jacob, Jacob got tricked into marrying dysfunctional vision. I'm stealing this from Damon Thompson. Got tricked into marrying Leah, who had a lazy eye, dysfunctional vision, but then decided to wait for Rachel, the one he loved. And it says, to him, seven years seemed as only a few days. Why? Because he loved Rachel. Rachel. 
we, we are, we are, um, this has never been done in this city. Let me just say it like that. And when I say this, I mean a church, I don't know if this has ever been, but a, a church that is solely based on Jesus. Now, what that has to, what causes, what has to happen because of that is for this church to be filled with people that are okay with this not being about them. But, because I, I love you, but it's not. This ain't about you. This is about him. But because it's about him, he makes it about you. Y'all hear me? This, this is, why, so why am I saying that? Because we've got to get to the place. This is why I'm preaching this on a Tuesday night rather than a Sunday, because all of you are family. We've got to get to the place where we have a singular vision. Your kingdom come. And when that happens, we'll start to be a family that honors what the Lord has given, given us. And when we start to honor what the Lord has given us, that will be the invitation into glory to glory to glory to glory. When somebody says something against you, when somebody looks at you the wrong way, when somebody does something to you, whatever the case may be, you're not going to kill them. You're going to forgive them. Right? When you feel like you're the, you're the man or woman of the hour, but you don't have a position yet, you're not going to be the one that starts vying to make that position happen. You're going to be still and know. Right? <laughs> Real quiet on me. This ain't about positions. This is about the kingdom of God. Jesus, the gifts that Jesus gave to his church were apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and preachers. Why did he give them those gifts? Because through those fathers and mothers in the lives of believers who are going to become fathers and mothers themselves, we were going to come into, it says, into the fullness of the knowledge of the Son of God. I, so I'm a father in this room, but I am a son. I'll ne Ellington said, I'll never stop being a son. The spiritual fathers in my life have sent me into things I would have never tasted, ever, had I not submitted to my spiritual fathers. And I'm not preaching this message to tell you what to do. I'm preaching this message to give you a dare to get rooted. I mean, what, what, what would happen if we stopped worrying about what we were doing and instead started worrying about who we were becoming? Because that's a good message. Everybody wants to amen that message. Everybody wants to high five and clap for that message. But when it comes down to becoming, we would much rather do. Doing's easy. The world is doing. But let me tell you what the world is not doing. Becoming. That's what we're called to do. And by us becoming, it actually brings those who aren't becoming anything into a place where they can become as well. So our greatest evangelism is you being on fire. I 
I'm preaching a lot of this orthodox stuff that the early church believed, but we've been so brainwashed as a culture that we hear some of this stuff and we, we kick back. Here's how Peter did evangelism. I'm going to go to the temple and I'm going to spend time with the Lord. Let's go. And as he's walking, he's so on fire, everybody around him is getting healed. You know what he did not do? And I'm saying this is bad. You know what he did not do? He did not say, all right, boys, let's go do ministry. He said, let's go sit at the feet. And on their way to sitting at the feet, what was in them because they stayed at the feet started spilling over into everybody else that weren't at the feet. Martha, Martha. Mar Jesus is at the house of Mary and Martha. Martha's in the kitchen, busting it, trying to make preparations and a great meal for the Messiah. And Mary, her sister, is sitting at the feet, literally, of Jesus, soaking in every word that he's saying. And Martha, this is what religion does. Martha comes out and she says, Jesus, are you not mad? Say something. She's not doing anything. She's not doing anything. And Jesus says, Martha, you're worried about a lot of things. But Mary has found the one thing that won't be taken from her. The good portion that won't be taken from her. Right? There's one indictment I get more than any others, and it's that you're not doing enough. That's literally the one thing I get more than anything else is that you're not doing enough. I would argue we're doing more than anybody else has ever done. But, but it does not look like our building exploding today. It looks like you and I exploding on a day-to-day -day basis. See the difference? So I had dreams. I had dreams the other night. I promise you I'm done. I just, this is just blowing up in me. And if you need to leave, awesome. But we, um, I had dreams the other night that a, a Colonial Life Arena was filled. Y'all remember me saying that on Sunday? And me and Ellington were talking about this. I woke up that next morning, and you, you know what I did not say? I would have done this in another season. I woke up the next morning, and I went right to the secret place. And I said, Lord, what do you have for me today? Because I believe that is how we're going to get to that. In one season of my life, I would have said, let's make flyers. Call up Bethel call up Hillsong, we'll put it on the credit card, you know. That's what, in one season of my life, in this season of my life, I'm looking around and looking at people like Matt, Isaiah, Ellington, I mean, I could, I could go around the room, Mackenzie, Morgan, Olivia, Olivia, I didn't even see you down here, Lord, hey. Because <laughs> um, I'm always looking that back here, I don't know why, I just always do that, sorry about that. But um, I, I believe the way we're going to see that, I believe the way we're going to see that is by McKenzie having kids that have kids that have kids that have kids that are burning for the Lord. And it's going to take a long time. I mean, let me just tell you, it's, it's going to take a long time. Rome wasn't built in a day. It's going to take a while. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus came with the message. The kingdom is at hand and we are over 2,000 years removed from him saying that and the kingdom has advanced but would we say his kingdom has come and his will has been done in totality? No. And that's been over 2,000
thousand years. So, so, so this might take a minute, but how many of y'all know what comes out of a crock pot tastes way better than what comes out of a microwave? Y'all know what I'm saying? Let's, so, somebody asked me when we first started, what's your church growth model? <laughs> I'm like, what? Um, I said, I said, this is what I said. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I was snarky back then. Maybe I am a little bit now, but um, I said, well, all right, you want to hear it? This is my church growth model. Um, we're going to have babies. I mean, that's, you, you want to know it? We're going to have kids. Because Tom is on my side. I'll tell Tom what to do. Tom, me and Tom aren't fighting. I win. If me and Tom get in a fight, I win 100% of the time. I got Tom on my side. Right? So we're going to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the only way we're going to see that is if we do it right. Would y'all uh, bow your heads? I'm going to pray. Pray over us. Sorry for, uh, no, I'm not sorry. I was going to say I'm sorry for being a long, long, long-winded speaker. I'm not because I'm not a speaker. I, I just, I do want to speak to this though as we're praying. Some of you, some of you are tired of waiting. Some of you are tired of waiting and I get it. I totally get it. Abraham got tired of waiting and that's when Hagar came into the picture. I get it. But if you could see this season not as the Lord withholding, but as the Lord preparing, I promise you, you'd start to see things differently. You'd start to find joy in waiting. Because instead of questioning if God is good, when it's taking too long, you'd start to say, this must be real good if I've got to get this rooted to receive it. Yahweh, I, I, I believe every word you spoke to me in 2017. When you began to speak to me and said, every place you, every, every, everywhere you place your foot is ground that I'm giving you. When you begin to speak the command to Joshua, where you said, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear, for I am with you wherever you go. When you began to give us dreams about sons and daughters coming home and finding what it means to be a son and daughter again, and finding what religion never told us, Religion never told us that we could have a relationship with you. Never. Religion never told me that you were good. Religion told me that I was worthless and the best that I would ever be would be making it to heaven by the skin of my teeth. That's what religion told me. But what you say is that I am loved and your love will not run empty. Your love is a well that will never run dry. Your love grows sweeter and sweeter as every single day goes by. And so, Lord, we recommit to trust today, tonight. 
We recommit to the secret place. We recommit to what you're doing in us. We recommit to you being our obsession. Lord, we lay down division in Jesus' name. If there is someone in this room that is holding a grudge against another person, specifically in this room, but anywhere else as well, bring that to our minds right now in Jesus' name. And tonight, let us not be able to fall asleep until we send a text or a phone call. Unite the church, Jesus. Lord, I pray over pastors right now. I'm almost, I pray over pastors right now. Lord, would you give them the, the, the courage to be what you've designed them to be? I pray over congregants that are watching this right now. And I pray that we, as people of God, would stop trying to make our leaders what they were never designed to be and instead hold their arms up We're not going to withhold the tithe when when a preacher preaches something that steps on our toes. We're going to give more when a preacher preaches uh, preaches something that steps on our toes. That's what I'm talking about with honor. So, Lord, I love you. I honor you for this people. I say in front of this family right now, I recommit as a spiritual father to the secret place. And I recommit to being rooted under my spiritual fathers and submitting to my spiritual fathers. Because in that there is protection, in that there is permission, and in that there is position. And so, Lord, I receive that. I receive that in Jesus' name. We love you. We honor you. In your name, amen.